welcome to Pros Tinted Glasses. I'm Katie. And I'm Bailey. And we are very excited today to talk to you about the Sunbearer Trials. Yes, it is by our fave, Aiden Thomas, who yes. you may know from hits such as Cemetery Boys and Into the Neverwoods, both of which we loved. Very much so. Um, and you'll be not at all surprised to hear I've returned to form and finished this book on the drive down here. <laughs> <laughs> at least it wasn't like 800 pages this time. No, certainly not. Although I did bump it up to 1.8 speed on the audiobook. Wow. Bailey, zoom and zoom, zoom. Zoom, zoom. It wasn't that bad, except I will say that um, a lot of Spanish already feels really fast to me. And yes. so when going at 1.8, the Spanish felt lightning speed. Yeah, same. I like, I think it's just an effect that happens really with any language, but Spanish, Spanish does feel like it's spoken faster to a, to an English ear, in my opinion. Um, and I, I mean, I've never like taken Spanish having grown up in Texas. We were taught a little bit of Spanish from an early age. So like, a few of the words I was like, okay, I kind of recognize that, but I, I never like studied Spanish. So it was a lot. <laughs> yeah, I took a couple months of Spanish classes, but these Spanish classes were focused on like getting an adult through like customs and basic traveling and communicating mm -hmm. with people in day to day situations. And so there were a few things that just, you know, obviously I could tell that there were a connection, but I just didn't know them. So yeah, totally. Um, I ended up, it, I told Katie this, I did end up getting the audiobook in part because I was so sure I was messing up the pronunciations in my head. I was like, I really <laughs> want to listen to these be said properly um, instead of just reading it because I, I originally just got the ebook. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I really enjoyed the audiobook. I thought the performance was really good. The narrator rocked. Um it was really nice to be able to hear the proper pronunciation of things because I absolutely never would have gotten anywhere close on my own. So highly recommend the audiobook experience for this one if you are so inclined. Yes. Uh, the, I knew these letters are pronounced differently um, in Spanish, and but still my brain is so hardwired to English that coming up with the, like Quetzal was never going to happen because I can never remember the Q sound is, is just different. Mm -hmm. So, you know, good times. Very good time. So before we get into like a, a detailed summary, which we are going to attempt, you know how good we are at those. Um, but just kind of, I just wanted to talk about like the log line of this because it's just such an instant hooker. And I feel like, wow, why, why would I use the word hooker there? It, it's a big hook. The hook is really good and strong. Um, and I feel like it's a lot to live up to. So the hook, the log line for this book is that it's been billed as queer Percy Jackson meets the Hunger Games. Um, which are just two absolutely indomitable franchises. Yeah, but I also feel like that's an easy way out because it's ignoring some of the things about this book that I think really give it its own uniqueness. Okay, so I, I okay. No, I mean, definitely that, that line makes me extremely interested in it, um, especially given that I've been listening to the newest Olympian lately, so I'm like re-into yes. Percy Jackson. Yeah, same. I finally have been catching up on the newest Olympian. Also, I um, 
I just, I haven't listened to podcasts in months. Um, just, I've been actually working at work instead of like sitting around with nothing to do. So um, it's very different being a, a software developer than whatever it was I was doing before. But um, yeah, so I haven't been listening to as many podcasts. So I finally decided to take some time and I've been catching up. I've got like five or six episodes left of TNO. Yeah. Um, as usual, Shub's standing invitation to join us for anything. Always. Please anytime. come on the pod. Um, but yeah, I, <laughs> TNO is what I listen to pretty much every Monday morning, uh, mm-hmm. even though I have, I, I have caught up to where they are, but I have not read past three, the Titan's curse. So I'm going to have to like scramble to read the next couple before he starts reading them. But given their Ooh, pace, or you, I mean, or you could read along with him. That could be fun. I don't think I could stop myself after a chapter. He's a stronger man than me because. <laughs> I would just be like into it and I'd have 10 more minutes. I'd be like, oh, I could just read the next chapter and then all of a sudden I'll have read the whole book. That's true. That is by far like the hardest thing about his like business model is that it takes him three years to read a book. <laughs> yeah, which good for him. Like it seems to be really fucking working, but. Oh I, yeah, I mean, and he's so good at it, but it's just like, oh, I like that's so difficult. <laughs> could not be me. For sure. For could sure. not be but, those tinted uh, glasses. Never. No. Um, not when we read books in one day on the drive over to record the podcast frequently. <laughs> right. Uh, should we should we attempt to summarize? Yeah, I was gonna I was gonna maybe kind of break this into two. So I was gonna okay. first say that we try and summarize the like premise. Um, because so the the like kind of like Percy Jackson part of this is that is it is based in mythology, but it's based in um, Mexican mythology, which I am not as familiar with. So they did a, uh, Aiden did a really good job kind of summarizing that up at the top. So I figured maybe we could start there. And so then we all have kind of a basis in the premise and then we can summarize like the actual book. Okay. I'm happy to, to go unless you want to. I could not summarize the premise if you ask me four times and beg me. For okay. Case. All right. I guess that that is for me then. Hi, friends. Editing Katie popping in here really quick to interrupt myself before we get started on our summary, which, as I'm sure you know, is going to be so good. I firstly just wanted to give a quick spoiler warning. It wouldn't be pro-tinted glasses if we didn't forget. So this is your spoiler warning for The Sunbearer Trials by Aidan Thomas, which you should definitely read first if you're interested. And... Then I also just wanted to quickly warn you guys that my dogs are a little bit whinier than usual this episode. My dog Bruce is injured, and so he is on crate rest and is not very happy about it. And my dog Dolly is very annoyed that her brother can't come out and play. So they're both just a little whinier than usual. We tried to get most of it out, but, you know, the show must go on. So I just wanted to apologize for that quickly. Okay, I'm going to leave you guys back into our capable summarizing hands. Enjoy the show. Okay, so basically the original gods, Sol and, um, it's not Sol and Luna. Luna, like... Tierra. Tierra, yeah. Sol and Tierra, so sun and earth. They uh, started creating everything, and they created their, like, first round of gods, which I think... I can't remember the order that they went in, so I'm not even going to try. But one of the, like, subsets of gods that they created were the jade gods... One of the subsets is the gold gods, and one is the obsidian gods. And each try, like, didn't work out for whatever reason. Like, the obsidians turned out to kind of be evil, so they, like, were locked away in some other realm. 
And then the golds were really powerful, but I think also kind of um, narcissistic. And so the gods were like, mm, I don't know about that. And then the jades were less powerful than the golds. I don't remember what, why, like, they were, like, not as excited about the jades. Yeah, it was more like the golds were very powerful and fun, but they really didn't give a shit about mortals. And the jades yeah. were like, oh, we can all, like, work together and this is cool. Mm-hmm. And then... And well, and then they created mortals and they're like, oh yeah, we like the mortals. Like the mortals are cool. We're going to just hang out and watch them be a society. Um, but so still there, there are these three main subsets of gods and the obsidians are locked away. And then the gods get down with mortals as they are wont to do and pr- uh, produce the Percy Jackson would be known as demigods. Here they are the semidioses. Yes. Uh, I, I'm happy to see that in all mythology it carries over that <laughs> the gods are gonna do their business with the mortals. Yeah, they're gonna they're gonna get to business for sure. And so the Sunbearer Trials is an event that happens because Sol the god, in order to lock away the obsidian gods, they like broke apart into a bunch of pieces and those became the soul stones. And soul stones are like housed in temples all across um, different like regions of mm-hmm. of soul. Yes, and uh, every ten years, in order to like recharge the soul stones, they do the sunbearer trials with the semidioses, and the winner becomes the sunbearer, and they like go around each temple to recharge the soul stones. But also the loser of the Sunbearer Trials is sacrificed in order to repower the Soul Stones. Right. So the main story comes in when we meet Tio, who is a semi diocese of uh, Quetzal. So basically the god of birds. Um, mm-hmm. His mom created all of the birds and he can talk to birds. And also you learn like not quite right away that Tio has wings Mm-hmm. Yeah, but um, I think it's Teo. I'm going to be saying Teo because that's what the audiobook was saying. I probably, it, that one probably carries <laughs> over from me reading too far and it probably is Teo. To- totally fair. I just didn't want to, I just wanted to explain the pronunciation change up. Um, Teo is trans and he, when he transitioned, his wings didn't immediately transition from like typically female colors and patterns to typically male. And so he's really been ashamed of them. So he's been like hiding them because they're just kind of like, they've like molted and they're kind of like gray and dull and they, they cause him a lot of dysphoria um, with his gender. Right. Because in most typical bird species, uh, females are the drab colors and males are the spectacular ones that we think of when we think of bird species that draw attention Mm -hmm. from mates. So anyway, because he's a semi-diocese, um, he has to attend the selection process for the Sunbearer Trials because he's between the ages of 13 and 18. There'll be 10 semi-dioceses selected to compete, um, and Teo does not expect to be one of them because he is a jade god, and jade gods almost never get chosen. It's almost always all golds. There's been like mm-hmm. a few times in the past, but rarely if ever. And to the point where, like, 
to the point where like the gold gods or the gold semi-DOCs all have to go to this like warrior academy is what it's kind of made to sound like basically like they go to this really cool school where they're like taught fighting strategies kind of like the capital in the hunger games but not quite as intense because i don't know it's it's different but like yeah you no one wants to volunteer for this but they all of these like gold semi dioces also become heroes and use the powers that they have to like help people throughout seoul so it's not like they're only training for like the Sunbearer trials on the chance that they get chosen, they're training because they're also helping people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, um, as you can imagine, because this is a, a novel, Teo does get selected, as does another god, Jade God. Gasp, gasp. Yeah, another another um, Jade Semidiose, who is, his name is Shio. Shio. And he is the son of Malasuerte, which is the god of bad luck. Yes, and uh, Teo's really good friend, Nia, also gets selected, which is a surprise to no one, given that she is a gold. But uh, before we digress too much into this, I'm going to try and bring us back into a tighter summary. Mm -hmm. Uh, They have to travel throughout different host cities throughout Seoul to compete in five trials. At the end of each trial, Seoul ranks... All of the competitors. If you come in last, you become the sacrifice, as Katie said before. Um, and so basically, Teo, Nia, and Shio decide to become a sort of uneasy alliance in the hopes that if they can just get through this together, maybe it will be none of them. As the trials go on, uh, Teo does better than he thought, and he continues to climb in the ranks, in part, in part because no one uh, understands the ranking system, that Seoul is using, really. It's not a common first place because you finished first with the most points. Uh, it slowly becomes, well, I shouldn't say slowly. I figured it out after I think about the second trial. But Seoul is ranking them based off of, like, how worthy they are as a person. In part yeah, like, to character. How... Yeah, and it seems like everyone in the novel, like, the characters in universe, do not pick this up quickly at all. Which... Probably I shouldn't interrupt while we're still summarizing, but I do just want to circle back to this because it seems like that was a new thing that Sol was doing because they had all studied previous Sunbearer trials and nobody seemed on board with the ranking system. So we can come back to that, but uh, it was very pro, odd. Pros tinted, editorializing in the middle of the summary. You know us by now. Couldn't be us. Uh, anyway, so as they keep going through the trials... Teo notices something weird happening, that some of the the other competitors will get, like, black eyes and bruised under eyes and start to just act absolutely vicious. Just horrible, and it, it's unexplainable, and it always seems that they snap out of it at the last minute. And Teo is like, this is weird, nobody else seems to notice, whatever. So continuing through the trials, um, there's also a lot of, like, personal stuff that Teo's going through, because... He used to be friends with, oh, I just closed Aurelio. The, Aurelio. I was going to say, I closed the tab on accident instead of opening it. Oh, no. And, Command uh, shift T will reopen a tab. It's okay. The link is up on the other tab. Anyway, um, Teo is friends with Aurelio and, or was, and now they are trying to, I guess Teo's kind of trying to like, you know, figure out what happened and what's going on, etc. And um, they, they, like, sneak off to get candy at a totalization. Super cute scene. And all this other stuff. Um, 
and they get in trouble for it. Teo's sort of struggling because he feels out of place just among all these golds. And they get to the last trial and the last trial is taking place in the jungle that has been overtaken by all of the obsidians sort of like are abandoned once the obsidians got sort of locked away by soul sacrifice. So they have to fight this way. They have to fight their way through this like horrible, like creepy forest with no light where there's all these like creatures out to get them. And they get to the platform and Aurelio's twin sister, Aristella is, um, she gets the black eyes. She goes crazy and is trying to like prevent Teo, Naya, and Shio from getting on like across the border that keeps them safe. Uh, Teo ends up sort of sacrificing himself so his friends can get across. And in the end, Teo wins Sunbearer, the first Jade to ever do so. No, or at least uh, no, Oristella uh, unfortunately came in last. And mm-hmm. Aurelio is very upset, obviously. And and honestly, throughout this whole... Nope, that's editorialization. Anyway. <laughs> uh, I will non-editorialization pop in to just say, obviously, spoilers. We probably should have warned, but, like, we're about to, like, spoil the ending now. Um, yeah. So. <laughs> Anyways, Teo can't do it. He can't kill Oristea. Um, and... <laughs> This basically starts a war that is the cliffhanger because Soul goes out and the Obsidians, who were <laughs> fucking Shio all along, are like, hey, we're here. Yeah, uh, surprise, Shio was not, I guess, the, the son of the god of bad luck. Or maybe he was and the god of bad luck was also an Obsidian. Anyway, Shio was a plant for the Obsidians and like his whole plan was to get somebody who was a good person to win so that then they wouldn't perform the sacrifice, so that then the obsidians could break out of their prison. Uh, and it worked, and that's where that that's where the the fucking story ends because we love a good cliffhanger. Yeah, yeah. It. I mean, basically, they break into ally ships and and stuff like that. But like, yeah, it ends, and then basically, uh, Teo and Aurelio and Nia decide. Well, okay, we're gonna we're gonna go on a road trip to defeat evil, and that's like the decision that they make. They're gonna like go find all the soul stones, and I, I forget the exact mechanics of how it could save the day. But if they if they were gonna they were gonna reunite all the pieces of soul, soul could come back and defeat the obsidians again. Yes, thank you. Yes, yeah, no problem. It's very that that particular part is fresh in my mind, you know, because I just finished. <laughs> Um, anyway, that was my attempt to summarize without editorializing too much, which I thought we did okay. Yeah, no, I thought you did good. We, you know, we have to have a little bit of editorialization or it wouldn't be prose-tinted classes, so. Right. I will say the hardest part of not editorializing was, like, pointing out all of the parallels to the Hunger Games. Mm-hmm. Because there are many. There are many. Well, why don't we start there? Why don't we start with um, Hunger Game parallels before we kind of dive into other things? The one, the one specifically about the Hunger Games that occurred to me while you were summarizing was that the trials in the Sunbearer trials were not meant to perpetuate violence against each other. Like 
there were obviously elements of like offense and defense, but like they were not unless they were being possessed. They were not trying to kill each other. And yeah. a lot of it was just like more friendly overall. Like it was one of those like, oh, you go out on the soccer field and you fight really hard against your opponent. And then afterwards, you all go out for beers. It was a lot. It was much more similar to that than like the actual life or death hunger game scenario. Right. But the careers versus like the golds that go to mm-hmm. go to the academy. Um, I'll probably think of more. There were just a couple of things where I was like, "Oh, that's kind of Hunger Games ish," and like the lack of control about getting selected. Mm-hmm. Also, like the kind of like the media tour that they had to go on. Each trial was in a different city, and they would go and do the trial, and then like spend the rest of the weekend in the city and kind of be trotted out, having to like do press basically, and you know greet their adoring fans. Yeah, and the television the televising of the trials and the way that Teo sometimes describes how like these clips were getting replayed over and over again, that, that kind of smacks of a little bit of hunger game stuff too, which it, not really that bad. Just, I kept thinking about it as things were happening in the novel, like, Oh, that's kind of like the hunger games, mm-hmm. but the stakes do seem to be a little bit bigger than at least the first book in the hunger game series. You know, very much in the first hunger game series, it was like Katniss trying to survive to save her sister. Mm-hmm. Our world was small right now. Like in the first, in the Sunbearer trials, we're already to like the world will fall apart because Soul is out. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's a good point. I also think the inverse is kind of true, also, though, because, you know, in the Hunger Games, purportedly only one person gets to survive, whereas this point, like one person has to die. So it's like most of you are surviving, but you are still like fighting for your life. Right. And as you said, it's, it's clearly not as violent. It just stuck out to me. And honestly, I had not, I had probably seen the queer Percy Jackson meets the Hunger Games line, like when we first learned about Sunbearer Trials. But by the time we got to reading it, I had like completely forgotten that. So it was close enough to the Hunger Games that I came up with that while reading, like without that. And I don't want to, I, I don't want to pat myself on the back because this is like <laughs> clearly geared towards like a younger audience than a couple of like 30 something women. Um, but I did guess pretty quickly into it that Teo was going to hey, win. Hey, I'm not 30-something yet. I'm sorry. Late 20-something. I've still got like five months before I'm 30-something. So. I always, sorry, I forget in this group of friends that I'm not the baby because of most of my other groups of friends, I'm like the <laughs> youngest person, okay? Yeah. Anyway, I'll be 30-something soon. Please continue. Sorry for interrupting. <laughs> I don't know what I was talking about. Oh, shit. Oh, okay. I got it. I got it back. Uh, I knew pretty early on, like, obviously, Teo was going to win. And I also knew mm-hmm. that he very obviously was not going to commit the sacrifice. Like, I would guess I knew that by, like, 50% through the book. Um, I, I will, I did not call that the Obsidians were behind it. Even though, the, like, in retrospect, the black eyes and stuff should have been super obvious. Yeah, that's, that's a good point that I just now, that I would not have made without you saying it. I was just, I was just imagining, like... You know, like, demonize and supernatural is kind of how I've, I was imagining it. And I was like, yeah, that makes sense. That's a trope. But the fact you know, that it, it, I it's think black and they're the obsidians, you're so right. It hides very well. Like, it works really well to hide that fact. Yeah. Um, I will say there's another parallel to a novel. And it, it's a little bit more of a stretch, but it reminded me of um, Pierce Brown's uh, Red Rising. 
because there are like mm-hmm. classes of citizens where you're different colors and the golds are at the top. I mean, gold is obviously at the top of everything. I'm not saying that Pierce Brown came up with that, but just like the the golds have the elite. They go to this academy and then people below them don't get as much. Now in Red Rising, they're all like mortals ostensibly and there's so many different classes, but the, the gold jade thing, mortal thing kind of reminded me of that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I also thought it was really interesting just generally how the mortals and the semi-dioses like did and or didn't interact like obviously Teo and like the jades are very enmeshed in mortal culture and they're very um you know that's just their everyday life like they hang out with mortals they go to the grocery store that mortals staff or whatever and it's very accepted and also like mortals are very aware of the existence of the gods and semi-dioses Whereas jades are, or sorry, whereas golds are much more, like, they, they're elevated away from mortals. Like, they really don't interact with mortals. They don't deal with it. And they're much more like the superheroes that mortals know about, but, like, are kind of out of reach. Right. And we see that that play out a couple of times, especially in um, Fauna, where they are at, like, the petting zoo. And the golds are like, uh, there are people here. And... <laughs> Teo is like, fuck yeah, there are people here. Let's go pet some animals. (laughs) And then they all like play with the kids and they have one of those happy little like, we finished the competition, let's go drink beers moments. Um, But it doesn't, it doesn't last forever. Mm -hmm. Okay, I want to circle back to the ranking system that I brought up while you were summarizing and should have waited. But anyway, uh, like... Teo seems to be the only person who is like, hey, something is wrong with the games. Like, something is happening here. Why is nobody else paying attention to it? Because he had noticed the other contestants with the black eyes. He had noticed them getting, like, kind of unnaturally violent. Even for Aristella, who is super, super competitive and, like, a little bit aggressive. Like, she was being, like, way more violent than she normally would have been. And... The other thing that seemed really strange to me, and I couldn't quite decide if it was in-universe or out-of-universe, was that no one understood the ranking system, right? Because they're, it's confirmed that they study the trials and like previous trials and previous events at the Academy. So presumably they also study the rankings and like how people placed in the rankings and like how you did well at a trial... But then everybody is fucking shocked that they're being ranked or that like character is a consideration in the ranking as opposed to just like straight performance. And so it's like, is that for some reason they didn't realize that that would happen? Or is that like another sign that something is wrong with the games? Right. And Luna keeps saying like that, oh, you know, soul is taking into consideration your character or whatever, but, like, theoretically, if they'd been studying all of these games, they would have known that. You know what I mean? Like, that would have been something that, like, Luna doesn't need to continue reminding them of. Mm Mm-hmm. So, I, it's hard to say, like, how within or without universe that sort of is. Mm Mm-hmm. It was very interesting at I just was, like, continuously shocked that people were shocked by the rankings, even though they were, like, throwing their fellow competitors off a cliff. 
Or, like, striking them down with lightning. Or, mm-hmm. well, that one might have been caused by the obsidians, but, like, Othello definitely causes, like, a gigantic rock slide just out of being, like, a meathead. Yeah, they are rude. Othello sucks. Yeah, and then, like, that rivalry starts out strong, and then I feel like it kind of dropped off. Like, once once Othello dropped in the ratings, uh, Teo and crew were like, oh, right, forget them, and, and they fall out of the story a little bit. I feel mm-hmm. like it might be um, a weakness I just noticed while talking. Yeah, I think that um, I think that that is a little bit of a weakness overall with the book is that a lot of the characters start out really strong and are really interesting, and then they don't they just don't quite get the focus, or at least like the relationships don't quite get the focus outside of like. Teo and Nia and Shio, like those, those that trio is pretty solid. But even when it comes to like Aurelio and Teo's relationship, like it kept seeming like we were gonna build to an answer as to why Aurelio stopped being friends with Teo, and that it would be you know probably something stupid, but something like reasonable that they could heal from. And I don't feel like we got that. Like I think there was like a a, a line about how. Aurelio's mom basically told him he couldn't trust anyone but a gold and then he went to the academy but like I don't know I was not quite satisfied with that I agree I think that needs like more resolution I think we're falling victim here to a lot of really good like characterization ideas that were Mm -hmm. discarded for a plot yeah and I think it's hard to like grow you know, 10 plus main characters or main-ish characters over just the course of a duology, right? Because this isn't supposed to be a series. It's just supposed to be two books. No, I... So I think he really had to econ- uh, economize with, like, what gets focus, which I totally understand. And I think I think it was done, like, fairly well. There's just a lot that I would have loved more of. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think this is, like, something that Aiden Thomas did poorly necessarily. I think it's just given the fact that he's writing like a, a YA duology, there's only so much to work with. And in that, in the case of this type of book, plot's going to take precedence over that sort of deep characterization, this, this like development between these characters, unless it furthers the plot. So like, obviously they have some reconciliation at the hot springs over candy, over a few other things that leads to like a better working relationship but it doesn't come to like actual personal resolution yet. And now they're going to war and we all know what happens in war. No personal mm-hmm. resolution. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah, I think given the large cast of characters, we were able to see very deeply into specific characters. And I will say like uh, Nia loved that. Shio? Mm-hmm good characterization did not see the obsidian plant thing coming because of the perfect like timid oh not gonna be me sort of play that was happening Hmm. yeah agreed I feel like that was a really well done twist and betrayal um I don't feel like it was super foreshadowed but I think that Shio was like cagey enough that it totally makes sense with his character especially right before like the last trial Mm-hmm. The, the, you know, 
Teo wrote it off as like, oh, you're just so nervous. You're just so nervous because like this, you're in, you're in dead last. Like this could be your, the end or whatever. And instead it was probably like, oh God, I know that like the obsidians are coming or whatever. So Mm -hmm. definitely interesting. I will say for all the things, like I said, the, all the things I did see coming, that was not one I saw coming. So I'm very happy with the way that ended. Mm -hmm. For sure. Yeah. I'm reading your, your random thoughts. I was just about to bring up my top random thought was that I just wanted to admit that for most of the book, because I was listening to it, I thought that soul stones were soul S O U L stones instead of soul S O L stones. I realized it about halfway through. I was like, Oh, like soul, the sun God. Yeah. And not like a Marvel infinity stone. <laughs> Right. Um, I didn't think of that because as established, I'm like pretty, very much like not a Marvel girly. And I was like, soul stones make, I saw you know, it's like, oh, soul stones, that makes sense. But like, number one, I was reading the book to start. And number two, I just wouldn't have, I wouldn't have thought of that. And then another thought I had kind of on the flip side of what we were talking about with like the weakness between character relationships and character growth. I think that that was almost sacrificed like directly in favor of one of Aiden Thomas's biggest strengths, which is how effortless his inclusivity is and like how approachable he makes inclusion. You know, it's first of all, it's just a fact of the world. It's totally simple. It's like explained in very basic terms, which I love. And then the conversations that come of it, such as there's a conversation between Teo and Shio, who are both trans, about... Um, how Shio didn't quite feel comfortable um, in his trans identity yet. And I think a lot of it was, you know, Shio's 13, whereas Teo's... 17. 17. And so a lot of it's just, like, time and age and becoming more comfortable in your skin. But then they also talked about, you know, you don't have to be, full, like, fully a man. Like, you could be non-binary. Like, you could be a demi-boy. Like, there's lots of, like, gray area, and it's okay to think about it, and it's okay to not even know that right now and the way that they have that conversation is it's just so approachable and it's the kind of conversation that it's so important to like normalize that conversation and that kind of topic for people who might not be exposed to queerness in their everyday lives otherwise but it it does all that without being like a soapbox you know it's just it's just a normalization and I think it's done so well so well I think it does a pretty good job of um, also creating a connection between two characters and and making a point that there's not a connection between two characters simply because they're trans, but because they had a conversation with each other. Uh, Yeah, I definitely think it's, it was a good conversation to have. And and like I said, I felt it created a connection between two characters. Um, And the other inclusion in the series is wonderful. Um, I know sometimes people can rely on like, gods being genderless because they're gods and Aiden Mm -hmm. Thomas does not rely on that at Mm -hmm. all Um, so like Ocello has the non-binary flag next to their name on the um, trading card on Aiden's website Mm -hmm. and Teo has the trans flag and stuff like that and so it was it was nice to it felt like diversity without tokenization Mm -hmm. yeah I think that that is Exactly right. And there's so much of it, like, not even 
with within like the gender spectrum, right? Like uh, Desi is deaf and it's handled really well and really like matter of factly and it's just really nice. And he's not, you know, that's not a disadvantage for him. Um, it will like within the trials, like it certainly changes things and it changes how he interacts with the trials and with the others, but like it, it's just given as a fact of life and he, you know, does awesome with it. Right. And there are people who can sign throughout the trials to like ensure that he does not have a disadvantage. So I, I, I like Aiden Thomas's writing for that because he really does make it a world of acceptance. Um, uh, yeah. I mean, Cemetery Boys has a different sort of plot in terms of acceptance, I guess. But that was that was a different story. This one is not that. I I also really liked the opportunity to learn more about like Mexican mythology, learn more mm-hmm. about those stories because that's not any obviously like everything. Okay, that's dramatic. A lot of what we hear is based off like Greek and Roman mythology. Mm-hmm. Especially in you know the English-speaking Western world, that's a lot of what that's most of what we're taught, right? And that's what oh, so much of what we read about our stories are made off of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought it was really nice to kind of expand the like mythology, mythological book canon, um, and it, like. The Mexican mythology is so, it's so bright and colorful. And like, obviously there are parallels with Greek and Roman mythology, but it's still, it's so distinct um, that it it was just really fun to to read and to be immersed in. Yeah. it. So I'm, I'm doing some Googling and it sounds like, you know, a lot of the Mexican mythology stories that we're seeing come from Mayan or Aztec mythology originally and have been carried mm-hmm. on, passed down and changed. And I'm fairly certain that if, I read more about it. I would see so many more parallels in the story that I'm missing because I don't have a big background in this. So I'm definitely interested in learning more and also seeing uh, where the second book in the duology takes us with these stories. Mm -hmm. I also, speaking of things, uh, the clothing described in each city for each trial, for each outfit, I would love to see drawings of every single one of those. Yes, a hard agree. This this book is going to produce some really extraordinary fan art, I think. Yes, I think so too. I mean, obviously these um, trading cards that are already posted on Aiden's website are phenomenal, but I'm, I want to see even more. Like I said, it there was just... A detail like that is not something you get in every single book, but this kind of detail really helped with picturing and helps you realize that there are so many differences between these these cities and these microclimates in all of Seoul that everyone is, is li- living a different life, even the goals who spend it all in the academy. Yeah, absolutely. Like The sense of setting was so strong and so evocative that every time we traveled to a new city, I could picture it perfectly. Yes, I really liked that. And it added to, like I said, there was plot reasons for them to move cities, but it did allow for characterization of all the characters for the cities that they visited as well. Mm -hmm. So I just can't, I'm not mad about any of it yet. I'm sure when I sit with this book for a little bit longer, I'll come up with a few more things where I'm like, (laughs) meh, as you know, because that's who I am as a person. But so far, like everything- (laughs) 
Us? What? Sitting there and deciding something wasn't as good as I originally thought. No. But <laughs> despite that, I like I like continue to love and recommend books even when I realize they have flaws. I mean, if if you ever want to question that, listen to our priory of the orange tree episode. <laughs> uh, because I think we yeah. spent half that episode like whipping it apart and then we're like, if you don't read this, we're gonna commit a crime against you. <laughs> Those are my favorites, the one where we spend the whole episode like sounding like we hate something and then we're like, but also it's our favorite thing in the entire world. Yeah. Uh don't ask questions. We won't tell you lies. Do you have any other thoughts that we haven't already touched on? Dolly sure does. Um, I I don't think so. I probably will come up with more. I feel like I'm only a few days out from having read it, and I think that I'm going to be thinking about it for a while just because it, it was so much fun, and I'm going to be waiting on, like, absolute bated breath for the sequel. But... I think we touched on everything that I really wanted to talk about so far. Yeah, I might try to finish some of the stuff that I kind of speed ran out uh, on, you know, in my book just so I can enjoy the rich detail better because I really <laughs> did leave this one to the wire and didn't get to, to like, <laughs> appreciate as much of what Aiden did as I would have liked to. So yeah. I, there's there are probably more things that I'll, like, realize. I'll be like, God, why didn't we put that in the episode? Um we had to record it because we do not have a bank of episodes <laughs> yeah one day one day we'll get back to it yeah not today any, in any case um i guess that leaves us with the next thing in the outline is the fun little game yeah so when i was i'm really excited about this when i was researching for wait have you already taken it eat. no 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 we okay, okay, take, okay we're okay, gonna take okay. it together okay good good yeah. good we're gonna narrate through it but uh, I on Aiden's Twitter, he had a link to a BuzzFeed quiz for who is your Sunbearer Trials godly parent. So oh, Bailey okay. and I are going to take that now. I just opened it and it says, this post has not been vetted or endorsed by BuzzFeed's editorial staff. But then if you scroll it, down... Yeah, it's because it's, it's a community post, but it's by Aiden Thomas. Yeah, I didn't realize. I like had a whole range of like, oh my god, it's a community post. I wonder how... Oh wait, Aiden made it. <laughs> so... Mm-hmm. Okay, right. so first is, question is, what is your usual drink order? Um, I'm going to go with coffee with a shot of espresso. None of those are, are I mean, none of them are Dr. Pepper, so yeah. obviously none what of is, them are What is Cafe de Olia? I don't know. Are you Googling it? Yeah. It is obviously a beverage. Thank you, Google. Oh, it's um, spiced coffee with cinnamon. Ooh, yeah. And a dark sugar piloncillo that tastes similar to molasses. Some people might add orange peel and star anise. Okay, I've never had that, but that sounds fabulous. (laughs) I'm going to go seek that out because someone in this city has to make it. Oh, of course. Anyway, um, I think I'm going to go with coffee with a shot of espresso because as much as I would like to choose Cafe de Oya, I haven't had it yet. Mm-hmm. Okay, fair. So we're aligned there. All right, next. Um, what is your favorite book trope? I mean, we know mine is Enemies to Lovers. So, And we know I fucking hate tropes. <laughs> <laughs> you got to pick one. Okay. Um, childhood Friends to Lovers, Chosen One, Angst. Hurt, comfort, 
Beach Day episode, Mutual Pining, Corruption Arc, Enemies to Lovers or Heroes Journey. Okay, I'm stuck between Mutual Pining and Corruption Arc. Both very good. Yeah. I think I'm going to go with Corruption. Okay. That's a lot of fun. That's the only one that I was looking at that could rival Enemies to Lovers, but I mean, we know me. All right. Next question. Favorite gas station snack? Mm. Okay. Um, Jerky stick, Slurpee, peach rings with tahini, candy necklace, Takis, Warheads, Pulperindo, Chupa Chups, and De La Rosa Mazapan. So I have to say I haven't had yes. some. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't had a lot of the a lot of the Mexican candy, but it all looks delicious. Um, but I'm gonna go with Slurpee. I'm gonna go with Slurpee too because um, my go-to gas station snack is actually sunflower seeds and sour gummy worms, but they don't have tahini on them, and I feel like that makes a big difference in the category of snack. That prob- that probably is true. Although again, I've never had peach rings with tahini, but I love peach rings and I love tahini. So that I feel like really if, good. if either of us is gonna find them, like I feel like you have a better shot in Texas than I do up here. That's true. I, and I will be looking for them now. Yeah, if you see some, um, please mail me some if you don't hate okay. them. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. All right, next, next question. Pick a vacation spot. Um, so Joshua Tree Park, Turks and Caicos, New York City. Oh, I cannot. I cannot pronounce. Soshimilko? I, I was really proud because I had listened to the audiobook, so I felt really confident with all the pronunciations in this episode. I was not prepared for the for the cute little quiz afterwards. Anyway, Las Vegas, uh, the Amazon Rainforest, Lake Maracaibo, Palm Springs, or Grutas Tolentango, Hidalgo, Mexico. Shoshimiko. Anyways, I made Google say it and tried to mimic it. That's not what I'm choosing. I don't think. I don't know what I'm choosing. Uh, between Turks and Caicos and New York City. They're very different vibes, but they, they both are. sound wonderful. Um, I'm between Joshua Tree Park and Turks and Caicos. I don't want to rule out, like, uh, Grutas Talentango, but I've never been. I don't know anything about it. The picture is really cool. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. All the pictures look beautiful. I am going to go, I think, New York City. I'm going to go Joshua Tree. Okay. Oh, no, I don't okay, know how to... Okay, pick an alabrije. Alabrije. Okay, I, I started listening after the alabrije scene, so I was, like, very nervous okay. about pronouncing this word. Thank you. Uh, I'm picking I'm picking the gecko. Alabrije. Okay, alabrijes are brightly colored Mexican folk animals, and they play a, a pretty decently large role in the book, and they're, they sound so cute. They do. I want four. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I am going to pick the gecko because the quiz will force me to pick a single one. Okay. I'm going to pick um, the one above the gecko, the little like roaring cat. Thing. Yeah. Very cute. Cricket was a close contender for me. He's a very cute little grasshopper <laughs> cricket guy. All right. Mm-hmm. Next question. Pick a favorite club in school. We've got drama, rock climbing, watching anime at home, swim team, <laughs> debate, gymnastics, Community service, wrestling, and student council. Mine probably would have been Model UN, which is closest to debate club. So I think I'm going to go with that. Yeah. Uh, mine's swim team. Cool. Uh, favorite Disney movie is next. Encanto, Monsters, Inc., Hercules, Moana, Aladdin, Frozen, Luca, The Lion King, or Tangled. 
This is cruel and unusual punishment. It really is. It also does not have my actual favorite Disney movie, which is The Emperor's New Groove, which would have fit really well, I think. But there's like a cheeky tone that would have carried over pretty well. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did not mention this, but uh, Teo is extremely sassy and like mm-hmm. contrary for the sake of being contrary sometimes. I'm going to choose Tangled. I'm going to choose Hercules. I do love Hercules. Oh my God, Katie, the next one. Katie, <gasps> pick a Taylor Swift song. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yay. The options are Bad Blood, Enchanted, Teardrops on My Guitar, Lover, Nobody, No Crime, Shake It Off, Look What You Made Me Do, All Too Well, 10 Minute Taylor's Version, and Mine. Oh, this uh, is so hard. No, it's not. Champagne Problems is not on here, so it's Nobody, No Crime. That's really, yeah, both very, very good choices. Um,. Like, I'm, I'm actually between All Too Well and Mine. Mine is, like, an old fave, but, like, All Too Well is so iconic. Yes. I, I think I have to pick All Too Well. Yeah, I almost Ten picked, version, um, Taylor's version. Teardrops on my guitar for, like, the, for the point of it, but I decided not pick to. Pick a meme. Yeah. Um... I don't know how to describe visual media to you all over podcasts, so... Um, <laughs> Just go take this quiz. Yeah. Okay, but I am, I'm absolutely choosing uh, two dudes chilling in a hot tub five feet Ten away because they're, they're not gay. <laughs> I... Actually, I changed my mind. I'm, I'm, I'm picking Disaster Girl. I thought of... I really was thinking about Disaster Girl. It's like the little girl with the house burning in the background. Uh, th- that one I feel like she is looks, iconic enough. She Smug. looks satisfied as though she has done it. Um, I think I'm going to do the the um, You Cannot Kill Me in a Way That Matters mushroom tumbler post. Extremely good choice. It's, it's, oh, <gasps> okay. Next one is pick a parental figure. Uh, An Emperor's New Groove is featured here, Katie. Pacha and Chicha uh, are on here. Which is good. And I, I almost picked it immediately but i'm actually gonna look through the rest of the choices first yeah there's rain whispers and etta clawthorn there's nani from uh finding nemo there's garnet there's grunkle stan king butterfly endeavor george and lance and uh bob and linda belcher it's really between bob and linda and pacha and chicha same i think bob and linda are just like so just let their kids be their kids i know i'm gonna get i'm gonna go pacha and chicha though yeah, I'm going to go Bob and Linda. Okay. Okay. Oh, that's, and now we have our result. Yes. Do you want to go first? No. <laughs> okay, I'll go first. <laughs> I am, um, my godly parent is Tierra, Dios of Earth, who is Nia's godly parent. And it says, you rock. Your dad is the oldest of the gods and the chillest. Tierra likes to be surrounded by beautiful and soothing things and has modeled your hometown to fit this, filling it with hot springs and peace. Like Tierra, you have a spark of creativity as well. After all, Tierra is one of those dioses who created mortals. You're considered the wise one of your friends, aka you always have possession of at least one of the collective brain cells, and you wield that power well. Just don't forget that you too can make mistakes. I really like that. That's pretty good. Me too. Um, I got Yero. There's too many R's. Guerrero. I, I can't roll my R's, guys. Uh, Dios of War. 
Oh no, you're related to Ocello. Hold on, let me, let, me, let me read this though. Okay, okay. Your parent is definitely a go-getter. Guillermo may be the one picking fights, but in a battle they are also always on the front lines, leading the charge, not wavering from their goals. You're likely to be the first to join in a fight as well, whether that be a fight for justice or a brawl with some jerks who have been picking on your friends. Because you're so motivated, you are also a great person to call when there's an emergency. You'll be there and be ready to help however you can. Remember to be mindful of who your true enemies are. Do not let pride misguide you. That you know that is really good. I'm so. I, I mean, Ocello still sucks, but yes. I won't hold what they're like against you because that that does sound really cool and fitting. I was gonna say like I think we we have um, a little bit of prejudice because Ocello is such a bad bad person. But if you recall, like when they're in their city, um, Teo even points out that like Guillermo is completely different than Ocello in terms of like demeanor, mm-hmm. and that yeah. description actually uh was a little too true for a buzzfeed quiz thank you aiden bye (laughs) aiden read us for filth (laughs) yes that was a really fun quiz honestly i felt like all the questions were pretty good and i truly had like no idea where it was taking me yeah 100 percent agree i thought it was fun and i i enjoyed the results so a success yes okay i noticed there's one more thing on yes in our notes i haven't peeked i listened i listened to the toggle i haven't looked good good so i just was really excited because i again when i was researching this i found out what the next book not in this series that aiden thomas is writing is like the logline for it are you ready i don't know if you're ready i'm never ready gay titanic in space (laughs) wait I'm obsessed. Wait, wait, wait. This has shades of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. <laughs> it totally does. But that is very fun. Uh, I love that Aiden takes inspiration from so many pop culture things. And I don't know if you noticed mm-hmm. this. I'd forgotten it. But there are, like, many pop culture references in the Sunbearer Trials. Yeah. It, there are a lot of references. I also think that they just kind of made it modern day in a, in a really seamless way. Like this is kind of a comparison to Percy Jackson where like Percy Jackson is sort of meant to be timeless. Like and Rick Riordan has said like the year that it is in Percy Jackson is whatever year you're reading it in. Right. And he like, won't give birth dates for the characters. He's like, Oh yeah. Percy's birthday is 11 years ago from when you started reading the first book. Um, and so it's meant to be like kind of timeless. So we don't get a lot of reference to technology, post like early 2000s um but uh the sunbearer trials is very placed in time in a very contemporary way like they they use instagram and they talk about you know websites Uh, and and stuff and it's really interesting there's like a i i wonder if it was like tiktok which i wonder if that's how tiktok is in spanish because um instagram was instagrafica Mm -hmm. you know a uh, you know so i don't know there's one for youtube yeah and there were a couple there were just a couple of, like, references when the younger characters were talking amongst themselves that were, like, clearly recent pop culture references, but not in a way, you know, we've talked about this many times because it's, like, something I can never let go, um, but not in a way that made it felt super dated. Like, obviously, one day if we don't ev- if we don't have Instagram anymore, if Meta finally bites the fucking dust. Um, we can only pray. Right. 
then maybe it'll feel more dated. But like, let's be let's be real here. Instagram has been around for like a decade and there's always going to be some form of app like that. We can only hope that like this picture sharing app gets pried out of Zuck's cold undead hands. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, but anyway, I, th- I agree. I think it feels really contemporary and really grounded in time in a way that I don't think will feel dated. Yeah, I think I think it's done so. like very well in a way that makes them mm-hmm. feel young. And I think we'll definitely connect with a lot of readers. Um, again, like we are not necessarily the peak target audience for a book like this, though. I think Aiden has always done a very good job of writing a book that does not feel too young. But also does not feel like an adult novel. Uh, so I, I, I enjoy reading it. I think um, Sunbearer Trials is a really good, fun novel if you just need something to read that's not too, too heavy. It's just not have the psychological damage that Hunger Games deals to you. No. Yeah. Hunger Games, Hunger Games fucking depressed me. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I remember, like, you were like, I'm going to reread this for our, like, why, our, like, books of our youth revisited episode. And then you were like, I did not anticipate, like, the hit points I would take for reading these books. And I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. I read, like, 90% fun books. I've, like, I read Ugly's Pretty Specials, but, like, I have read them so many times. The psychological damage about image and eating disorders ceases to hit. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fair. Um, but yeah, the Sunbear Trials trials super fun. I think I think there's potential for the sequel to be even better, even more fun. So I will be waiting um, for it with with great excitement. Yeah, Sorry, I'm really I curious how words work. I'm really curious to see where it goes because seriously, up until about the last like I don't know 25 minutes, I was like, okay, he won the trials. Like, where are we going from here? What's the next big thing? And we already knew this was planned to be a duology. So we already knew there had to be, like, an increase in the stakes. Mm -hmm. And I didn't see it coming. But I'm very excited to read part two. I think we'll get to see more characterization just because they'll be off on their own outside of the confines of the trials. Mm -hmm. Any final thoughts? Just that you should listen to us when we say that you should read it and you'll enjoy it. Uh, which is what we always say at the end of an episode, no matter how happy or destroyed we sounded by a specific... I take that back. We've, we've like, not recommended, like, three books. Uh, uh, But you should always listen to what we do and don't recommend, because... We are right. And we should say it. Pour yourself a glass of wine. Let's start reading in between the lines. Never know what we might find. Yeah, it could be magic. Prost into Glasses is hosted by Bailey Utrecht and me, Katie Phillips. Our theme song is by Anna Voss, and our logo is by Baby Truth Collection. If you get a chance to rate us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts, it'd really help us grow, and we'd appreciate it. We'll see you in a couple weeks.